Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word today. We pray that as we do that, you would empower us by your spirit to take that word into our hearts and minds and better reflect the image of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, we're going to do a little experiment here this morning. Are you ready? No. Too bad. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes tightly. Close them tightly. Keep them tightly shut. Close your eyes. Come on. Close them. You know you want to. Close those eyes. Now recall, while your eyes are closed, recall a favorite time. Maybe it was with family or friends. uh, Maybe a time when you were doing some sports or activities. But with your eyes closed, eyes closed, can you recall the details of that moment? Can you see the faces and the colors and the sequence of events? Now maybe think about a favorite person. You can see their eyes, right? Their facial features, the peculiar characteristics that made them who they were. Now with your eyes tightly shut, imagine if that was the only way you would ever see them again because your world has gone dark and you are blind. Concentrate on that mental image of that picture of your friend. Hold on to it tightly because as the years go by in your blinded state, those details are gonna fade. Your world is going to go increasingly dark. Okay, open your eyes. Today's passage in the Gospel of Mark deals with a blind man and his need for mercy. And he finds that the only one who can show him the mercy he needs is Jesus. In the passage that we're going to dive into in a minute, there are two really standout characters in the middle of the crowd. And the way they interact helps us to see the way out of darkness, the way toward wholeness and healing. The same Jesus who's going to meet this man and extend mercy to him is going, can meet us and extend mercy to us. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 1572. I'm going to read that. Becky, I'm going to ask you to, on the pastor's mic, if you could just drop that drawbar down just a tad. We've got a little bit of a ring happening here. See what I'm talking about? Yes. Good. Thank you. So the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. 
The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now there are two uh, primary characters in this passage that we're going to look at. The first is the man, Bartimaeus, the, the blind man. One of two, actually, in the Gospel of Matthew that are sitting there. But Bartimaeus is the most vocal one and the one who gets uh, Peter's attention because the Gospel of Mark is really Peter's story. The young guy, John Mark, one of the disciples who hung out with them, he he made his way to, to Peter and he hung out with Peter. And Peter is really relating his story as the Holy Spirit inspires him. But what's this man's condition? Verse 46, he's blind. And he's desperate. And the, the word that's used for healing later on in verse 52 is a word that uh, leads most who study this passage to believe that this man had been able to see at one time. Had a former associate pastor who um, suffered from macular degeneration. It was really sad to watch him go from being able to see really well to not being able to really see anything at all, shapes and blurs. He was a musician, piano and organ player, and over time he'd, he'd copy the music and he made the copies bigger and bigger and bigger to try to keep on seeing them. Fortunately for him and those of us who listened to him play, he had a, nearly everything in the hymnal memorized, So, uh, but blindness. Some people are born blind, and and without denigrating the severity of their condition, uh, they don't know what they haven't seen, right? But this man, he had been able to see. The lights had gone out for him, and they had never come back on. And because of that blindness, he couldn't work. He couldn't be a carpenter. He couldn't work in the fields. He was reduced to begging for his daily sustenance. So he's there on the side of the road. And what does he want? In verse 47, he cries out for, for, for mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. We see later in verse 51, of course he wants to get his sight back, but that's not what he asks for first. He asks for mercy. What does he have? He has faith in Jesus. How do we know that? He calls him the son of David. In the Bible, that's a title for the Messiah. And and, in this passage is the only time in the Gospel of Mark it's used by somebody else to describe Jesus. And what's the expression of that faith, man? In verse 48, persistence. So what's he get? He gets what he's asked for. He gets mercy. Verse 52, he gets his sight back. Now listen, this sight, this seeing that this man gets to do again is just the most obvious representation, the obvious picture of the total healing and restoration that this man enjoys. Because the word for healed is a word that's used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe the entirety of the salvation experience with Jesus. See, he's not just saved from his physical debilitation. He's saved from spiritual deadness. He's made alive. When I was in the fourth grade a couple of years ago, my parents were disturbed. 
I was flunking fourth grade. Now, if you think about it, it's a hard thing to do to pull off to flunk fourth grade, right? But uh, they couldn't figure out why, and eventually they thought, well, maybe he's just not seeing very well, so they dragged me to the eye doctor, and it turns out I was not seeing very, very well. My eyesight was 2,400 plus in both eyes. If you know anything about eyes and glasses, that ain't good. So they fixed me up with glasses. Of course, they were the really attractive glasses with those big, thick, black frames. They issue those glasses with a pocket protector to make the nerd look complete. But it turns out that after I got my glasses, I was able to see I didn't flunk fourth grade anymore. Nowadays, they have a laser surgery to correct nearsightedness so that people don't need glasses anymore. And I've seen folks before and after the laser surgery, they come out in their wheelchair with their little dark glasses on and told they need to take it easy for a couple of days. And it's a really an amazing thing when it works. But this healing of Jesus for this blind man, it's better than laser surgery. It's instantaneous. But beyond the restoration of this man's sight, his soul is healed. And what does he do in response to this healing? In verse 52, he follows Jesus. Here's the thing. Implicit in the cure that Jesus offers us is the call to follow him. I know a lot of people who believe in Jesus. It's a smaller number that follow him. But this man, he follows Jesus. And look in this passage. This is the Jesus who feels compassion. In the parallel account, again, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's described as Jesus feeling it in his gut when he sees this man. Jesus was not some aloof religious figure trotting the earth, dispensing goodness as he went along the way. He was the God-man. And in the man part of the God-man, he felt things. He felt them deeply. Do you remember the story in the Gospel of John when Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus is dead and he goes to break him out of the tomb. But before he gets there, he weeps. He wept. Shortest verse in the New Testament. I'm a fan of from years ago now, and I have the entire collection of the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon series. My dear wife gave it to me for Christmas one year. I have the entire collection. I follow them on Twitter. So every day I get a new iteration of Calvin and Hobbes. And I don't know if you're familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin was this little, well, criminal mastermind who was about six years old. And he had a friend named Hobbes. Hobbes was a, was a tiger. Everybody else thought Hobbes was just a stuffed animal. But no, Hobbes was not just a stuffed animal. Hobbes was a real tiger in Calvin's life. And one day Calvin finds in the backyard a raccoon that's been injured somehow and talks to his dad and his mom, and they take the raccoon in, and they try to nurse it back to health, but the raccoon dies. Dad says to Calvin, I'm sorry, Calvin, but the raccoon's gone. Calvin said, he's not gone inside me. That's Jesus. We're not gone inside him. He feels it in his gut. And so he takes the initiative in this passage to reach out to this man. He is personally interested in this guy. He is the one, when you call him, you get him. 
There are things on this planet that really annoy me. One of them is uh, donut ditherers. Right? You go to Dunkin' Donuts. You're standing in line. You've been standing there for eight or nine or ten minutes. There's somebody right in front of you who's been standing there an equal amount of time studying the board. And then they get up there and the person behind the counter says, well, what would you like? And they go, well, I don't know. Maybe I'll have one of the... Oh, no, no. Let's, let's have two of those and... Uh, maybe one of these and... Just pick your donuts. You had ten minutes to pick your donuts. Or movie theater encroachers. You know these people? You go and you pick out your seat in the theater and you you have space around you so that you can enjoy the show in relaxation and comfort and then they come. The movie theater encroachers. There's an entire theater full of seats back there. Do they sit there? No. They sit right behind you. Or right next to you. They don't figure out that when you look over like this, you're really saying, could you move? Those things annoy me. You know what else annoys me? Phone trees. You call up someplace and they say, press two for whatever. So you press two and you get another menu and the menu says, press three for whatever. And you press three, and you get another menu, and then you say, press four. So you press four for whatever you're looking for, and you get to the end of the menu at number four, and they go, if you have, we haven't answered your questions, plus zero to start over again. But when you call out to Jesus... You don't get an impersonal phone tree. You get him. Bartimaeus had probably sat in that spot for years without any kind of personal attention until Jesus comes along. And then we have to note from this passage that Jesus is once more authenticated as the Messiah by the miracle of restoring this man's sight. And by the way, in the Gospel of Mark, This is the last before the cross miracle that Mark records for us. Because what are the miracles for? Yes, the person is healed, but they also point to the reality of Jesus as the son of David, as the Messiah, as the living Christ. And Jesus is in verse 52, he's the the dispenser of mercy. You've seen the Charlie Brown special, right? It's a great, the Great Pumpkin. You've seen that special, right? And Charlie Brown goes out trick-or-treating with all his buddies. And they all end up, they have their sacks, and they go from door to door to door. And as they go from door to door to door, they're all comparing notes on what they got. And Charlie Brown says, inevitably, I got a rock. I got a rock. I got a rock. Charlie's constant refrain. But there are no rocks from Jesus. He is the inevitable dispenser of mercy. But we've also got to notice in this passage, I'm sorry to say, the crowd. 
And in this crowd, there are kind of types, two types of people who tend to follow Jesus around. There's two kind of types here. The first type in verse 48 is those people who hinder someone's progress towards Christ. They're not just standing in the way. They're actively preventing. In the uh, uh, class we're doing on Sunday mornings for relational connection and relational witnessing, the speaker talked about this passage this morning. We did not coordinate those messages. But she pointed out, and we look and see, this guy cries out to Jesus for mercy, and there are people there who say, sit down and shut up. He wants to reach to Jesus, and there are people there who say, shh, quiet, knock it off. They're getting in the way. I was living in Wyoming on Francis E. Warren Air Force Base, and we had an alley behind our house where we lived, and they came along one day and they put in speed bumps in this alley because people were driving too fast. I don't really like speed bumps. These folks, this group of people here, they're speed bumps. They're slowing down this person's progress towards Jesus. But also in the crowd, there are this, verse 49, there are people who who help. Listen, Jesus calls to this man, get this, Jesus calls to this man through his followers. He says, go get that guy. Which is really the same thing he says to us. His followers, Jesus says, "Go, go get them. And so some of them do. And we're not eliminating the role of the Holy Spirit here. We're just emphasizing that Jesus uses people. And what are these guys, the, the, the useful folks in this, in this crowd, what do they do? They go to the men and they say, he's calling you. He's calling you. So there are those in the crowd who hinder, and there are those in the crowd who hurt, uh, who help. Those in the crowd who are speed bumps, those in the crowd who are the on-ramps to Jesus. Those in the crowd who just want somebody to shut up, and those in the crowd who say, he's calling you, he's calling you. We had lots of folks out on Thursday evening in our All Hallows' Eve lawn party serving There were the hot dog cookers. There were the hot cocoa makers and servers. There were the people along the line dishing up the condiments for the hot dogs. There were the people giving away candy. There were people uh, giving away the, uh, the books, the life books that we put in people's hands, the life books that we put in people's hands. There were people there who were mixing it up with the folks who came by, just having conversation with our neighbors as they strolled on by. Lots of folks invested in trying to extend the gospel to people. We had a circle of prayer before we began, and, and, I, and I said to the folks then, this life book thing, this little uh, copy of the gospel of Mark, this is why we're here, to put this in the hands of people. This is, this is what we're doing here, getting to know our neighbors and putting the gospel in their hands. And we can either be those who hinder or those who help. I'm going to brag on my wife for a minute, Pastor Laura. Is that okay with you if I brag on her for a minute? 
Because the table was set up with the candy, and it was the good candy. I'm really proud of you for bringing the good candy. And we have some left over, and if you want some of the good candy, you feel free to take some of it. It was the good candy. And there were bowls and bowls and bowls of good candy, and there was bowls of stuff for kids who couldn't eat candy, and there were a couple of, uh, there was a bowl of little toys for, for kids whose parents didn't want them to have candy. But some of those kids were about two feet tall. And so they got to the table where the candy was, and it was kind of like this. You could barely see them. So what did my gifted, compassionate wife do? She picked up the bowl, she got down on one knee, and she said, here you go. Take what you want. What a picture that was in my mind of the call we have to be in the crowd, the part of the crowd in this story of the people who reach out, who who are willing to to kind of get down in there and say, Jesus is calling you. So I've got three questions for you this morning. Do you need an expression of mercy from Jesus? This guy in this passage, he got his sight back and relationship with Christ. But you may need some other expression of mercy from Jesus this morning. And when you call him, you do not get a phone tree and buttons to push, you get him. But where in this crowd do you see yourself? Are you a help or are you a hindrance? Pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for this word about this man to whom Jesus reached with a word of healing. Father, we want to be the part of the crowd that helps and doesn't hinder. So empower us by your spirit. Build up in us a sense of your compassion because all around us, Lord, Even in all those folks we think are nice people who are our neighbors and we've known for a long time, in all those groups of people, Father, there are people who do not yet know Jesus and he is calling them through us. We pray in his name, that name above all names. Amen.